Warning, the Federal Communications Commission requires that we inform you that this episode of the Derek Duvall Show may contain content inappropriate for children. Listener discretion is advised. The FCC also requires us to inform you that this episode may contain the words f***, s***, asshole, mother boy, dumpster, galloping quit, but in like a British way, and also, strangely, cul-de-sac. Once again, this show may contain content not suitable for anyone but the coolest children. Listener discretion is advised. Powered by Transistor FM. Welcome to Friends, Foes, and Neither. Do not adjust your podcatcher settings, as what you are about to hear is real. It's the Derek Duvall Show. Prepare yourself for insightful interviews with incredible people. Join us now as we delve ever deeper into the human condition. And now, coming to you live to tape from the Derek Duvall Production Bunker, it's Derek Duvall! Hello, Duvall Nation. Hello. Hey, everybody. Hi. Thank you so much. Please, everyone, sit. Thank you. Hello, Duvall Nation, and welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. We are back with another fantastic journey into the lives of extraordinary people. This episode is brought to you today by the fine folks of BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service and it's 100% online. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show. That's betterhelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show. So before we jump into this episode, I want to say a massive thank you to my last guest, Jason Downing. What a great guest. And if you have not heard our very in-depth interview, I strongly advise you to check it out after the conclusion of this episode. So welcome to episode 220 of a great episode lined up for you today. We have on the show Jonathan Dumas. Now, Jonathan is a career transition coach and a public speaker. Jonathan will be discussing his series and how we can be enjoying our career paths more, his social activism, and much more. Lots to discuss, so let's get Jonathan out here. Duval Nation, please welcome to the show, calling in today from his home in Los Angeles, California, Jonathan Dumas. Jonathan, hello. Welcome to the Derek of All Show. How is the weather out by you today? Cold in my house, hot outside. So <laughs> that is that's how things are going right now. So with the pandemic now winding down, how was it for you to navigate the COVID-19 world? Very different. I thought it was a joke in the beginning. Beyond, not a joke, but I thought that it was going to blow over, you know, in a month or so. And then when they, my job sent an email that, yeah, we're closing down the offices and everybody's going to work from home. I was like, oh, this is very real. Like a lot of people, I saw the notification during that Bucks game and I was like, this is, this is it. This is it. So other than that, like, I think when, uh, I think a lot of parts about myself, like shifted and changed. Like I realized I'm an introvert. <laughs> I don't like, I don't like, you know, my friends used to drag me to go out to party and stuff like that. And I, I would go and make myself, you know, be uncomfortable but then it's just like i just like being home i just enjoy it so um that i think i i learned so much about myself like what i wanted what what kind of future i wanted where do i want to live all these different things and a lot of the things that i worried about pre-pandemic just felt so small and so now me and my wife we we do you know we travel a whole lot more hang out with friends a whole lot more hang out with family a whole lot more so a lot of things just you know became a lot less important, a lot less important than other things became significantly more important. 
No. All right. Fair enough. So every journey has a beginning. Where were you born and what was it like to grow up there? So I was born in San Diego, California, in a city more specifically called Chula Vista, which is less than 10 minutes away from the border. So I was one of like very few black kids because it was mainly like a Latino, a Latina area. But my mom had me very young. She actually was a teen parent. So she had me a month before her 16th birthday. So growing up, I experienced like all kinds of things, you know, homelessness, like paycheck to paycheck living, so on and so forth. But like one thing I'll say about my mom, she's a hustler. She's a grinder. She never gives up. And yeah, she raised three sons who all of which are <laughs> pretty well-rounded individuals. I got a master's degree. I'm an organizational psychologist. Uh, my other brother, he's about to finish school. My other brother, you know, is is doing his thing uh, out in Oklahoma. So it's it's really, really, or not Oklahoma, Texas, what am I talking about? So it's it was really, really cool. Um, my mom raised us to be like really eclectic and like I mentioned, well-rounded. So I like enjoy all kinds of stuff, traveling, all kinds of music. I like plays. I used to act as a kid, played sports, all of the things. So I just like living life, Derek. It's really, really fun. San Diego is my old stomping grounds when I was in the Navy. So, I, oh I, yeah, yeah, I love, I love San Diego. I was there for five years. I know Chula Vista very well. There uh, it is. Yeah, I, I love that area. It's, it's a great city. Great city. Very expensive city, but great city. Yes, it it really is. And my stepdad actually was in the Navy twenty years, and then my grandpa um, was uh, in the Navy. Oof. He was in there for a while. He actually had to get med- medically discharged, but yeah. So Navy family over here as well. <laughs> oh, right on. So yeah. what were your earliest career aspirations? Um, I always like to tell this story. My mom wanted me to be a lawyer. So I thought the natural path uh, was to just do that and go to law school. Um, I'm obviously not a lawyer. Um, I didn't want to... <laughs> I didn't want to just look at paperwork all the time. I thought it was what it was like in like law and order or um, Matlock or something like that, where you're like getting down. Um, but that's not, that's not the case at all. Um, and so I just got my second, it was second semester of uh, my undergraduate career and uh, or my undergraduate. And last month I was about to graduate. And I just remember getting into a car with my mom. and be like, mom, I don't want to be a lawyer. Like I don't want to do it like that. It just, it just anxiety provoking. I don't want to do all of that. I don't want to take out hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of debt again. Like, so, um, yeah, I, uh, bounced that and I went and worked in higher ed, uh, for the first few years of my career and, um, really experienced some like very toxic work environment, um, leadership, just like they would go through our stuff, um, our files. If they would reorganize our stuff, they would, you know, treat us like cogs. We would work super late at night and then they would expect us there first thing in the morning. Travel seasons were brutal. Um, I was a missions counselor. So it was, it was really, really rough. And that was the time where I realized like, there has to be some way to like do this. And I stumbled, um, do this better, lead better. Organizations do better. And I stumbled across like organizational psychology and I fell in love with it because I've always enjoyed working. And I decided to go to grad school. And that's what I'm doing now as an organizational psychologist um, and career transition coach. Favorite memories from your time at the Liberal Arts Institute of Southern California? Honestly, it, my favorite parts were working with the students, honestly. I think when I was at Missions Counselor, I would get a chance to go to all kinds of different areas and parts of the area where I went to to high school too. And it was just really fun to be like, you came out this way to like see us. Like you came out this way to like talk to us. 
Uh, and I'm like, yeah, like, let's talk about college. Let's talk about your dreams. Let's talk about what you want to do with the rest of your life. Like, what are you, what are the first steps you're going to take to get there? Right. College can help with that, but there's also other avenues. Right. Um, those are some of my, my favorite memories. Um, uh, yeah, I just really, really love the students. Cause this just, it was really, really fun times. They keep you young for sure. What inspired you to get yeah. your master's from Vanguard? I got my master's there because they paid, they paid for it. So I worked at Vanguard. So I went undergrad Vanguard and then um, I went back uh, because uh, some friends actually was like, Hey, you'd be a good admissions counselor. And I was like, yeah, what's the missions counselor? Um, you get to travel, talk to students and talk to them all day and, you know, see if they want to come to that school. Cool. I could do that. I was pretty involved there. Um, so I went back and by the time like two or three years, like I was able to get it, um, I was able to get it partially paid for. So, um, that's what, that's what I did. Um, and it was between there and another university that, which I can't even remember, but I ended up uh, going there and get my master's degree there. They paid for a part of it. Okay. You yeah. are a self-described career transition coach mm -hmm. for myself and my listeners. Can you explain what exactly that entails? Absolutely. So the hardest part about finding a job is finding a job. And sometimes when you have found jobs, when you have uh, done that whole thing um, of like getting into your career, you hit a point where one, you don't want to do that, that whole experience again, because it sucks writing a resume, doing all that stuff. But particularly you want to find a place where you're going to enjoy yourself, where you're going to, you know, have some level of financial stability or freedom where you feel like you belong, where you feel like you could be yourself, where you connect with the organization, where you're having an impact, whether it's outwardly or internally. And um, what I do as a career transition coach is I don't, a lot of my clients are not folks that have difficulty writing a resume, have difficulty writing a cover letter, which I hate cover letters, but that's another story. My, my clients, the ones that I work with have experienced some parts of career despair, especially post post pandemic, right? And what that means is that they have done all of the things that they were told that they were supposed to do: go to school, get a upper level de uh, degree, um, get this job, work at this place. Oh, this is a top name place, and they're finding themselves being miserable. They're finding themselves like hitting a dead end in their career, and they're not happy ultimately. And so. They come to me and they ask like, what am I doing wrong? And I'm saying, well, you're not doing anything wrong, but I think you're asking the wrong question. What do you, what do you want in this next season of life is a better question. And so I help my clients navigate that transition in this next phase of their career, exploring who they are, creating space for them to really understand their values deeply, find or strategically look for roles that not only fit who they are, but align with who they are. Because oftentimes what I've seen from my clients, and, and I've done this even in my own personal experience, where I'll just be like, that's a cool place. I like that. I could do that. Let's try it out. And I'm unhappy six, nine months into it. And so I help folks find uh, what I have what I call career joy, which is this internalized, like inward peace, soul satisfying, like happiness, um, not because of their career, but because of the alignment that they feel with what they're doing. Um, in and outside of work. Hmm. How do we avoid that career despair? Mm, that's a fantastic question. I think it really is going back to those questions I asked. It 
It is creating space for yourself to ask who you are outside of just what you do, outside of what your family or your friends say you say you are. And also the second part of that is asking yourself what your values are. And then finally, are you safe? And the reason why I add that safety part is because it doesn't matter how hard you are. It doesn't matter what you've been through. Safety or the ability to be yourself, to show up authentically, which would be some level of psychological safety, um, is crucial for you to feel like you can be yourself. And so if you want to avoid or get out of that 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 pit of despair or career despair, it really is creating space for you to do that. I actually have a career joy roadmap, which the first two steps is actually acknowledge. The first step is acknowledging um, the emotions that you're feeling, right? If you're unhappy in your role, admit that you're unhappy, acknowledge that you're unhappy. The second part of that is actually showing yourself self-compassion, which that self-compassion allows you to look at that, maybe that anxiety or that hopelessness or something like that of, and really like, Treat that with kindness, treat that with compassion. So you're able to actually move forward because you have to deal with the emotions. You have to deal with what's happening internally for you, for you to move forward anyways. Mm. Is that how you find career joy? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's in my own career and things that I've experienced. It wasn't until I created that space for myself to ask those three questions that I mentioned, but also acknowledge that I was unhappy with what I wanted to do. I think even going back to, you know, telling my mom, I didn't want to be a lawyer. Like when I was in higher education, I'd been there for a while and I'm like, ah, I really want to do this. And then there was a, a I woke up and um, I was a resident director at one point and they were throwing a party above my par- apartment. And I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> like, I don't want to be woken up at two in the morning because there's, you know, they're throwing a razor above my apartment. And I didn't want to teach. I didn't want to do any of those things. Like there's different points in my career where I was like, what does... What does, what does the rest of my career journey, what do I want it to look like? Um, and yeah, I, I think I've landed in a fantastic place. I, I absolutely wake up every single day loving um, that I get to do what I do. What's the feedback to your coaching been like? One of the most impactful bits of feedback that I've gotten was from a, it's from a recent client. I remember I talked to her maybe a year ago. She's, um, she's actually a friend of my, my wife. And I remember talking to her and my wife would be like, you need a coach. Like my husband coaches, blah, blah, blah. Like talk to him. It's fine. And, uh, she didn't talk to me. It's like, she was going through this thing for like a year and a half. And we finally like sat down and she told me like, I'm unhirable. Like I am not qualified to do anything. Like I will just mess with my plants. Like that's what I do. I'm good at that. Right. And I think it was probably about the third or fourth session and she and she was like, well, I found this cool job, but I don't know if I can get do it. And I looked at the job and I said, what part of this do you feel like you can't do? And she said, well, I'm, I don't have like three years experience in this. And I'm like, well, you you check off every other one of those boxes. What, what do you think? What do you what do you mean? She's like, I don't have to check every single box of a job. I'm like, no, you, you, you don't. Why would why would you need to do that? She's like, I literally thought that. That's why I did not feel like I was qualified to do anything because I didn't meet every single qualification that these folks are asking for. I felt inadequate. I felt like I couldn't do it. And now I I talked to her, I talked to her a couple of weeks ago and she got a new job. That job didn't work out. And then she was able to actually get another job. But the biggest thing was she told me is that 
I would have never had the confidence to leave this horrible, horrible, horrible working environment where this boss is legitimately treating me miserably if I did not like have that reframe, have that reshaping of what's going on internally. And I think that that's, that's amazing. Like I don't, my work as a coach, like I don't say anything or do anything, or I don't have any like magic wand that I wave anything. I'm just a mirror and showing you a different perspective of the things that are happening in you. I'm, I'm, I'm helping you acknowledge and see the brilliance that is you. And that was just an, an impact, incredibly impactful thing. Like she said, I would not be where I'm at without you. And I'm like, you, you are wonderful already. So I'm just excited that I got to see it as a coach. Based on what I have read about you, you are very active in your activism. Mm. And a key talking point I read that I saw intrigued me immensely. Mm. In your opinion, why is professionalism hindering African-Americans from succeeding in their careers? Because professionalism says that you have to leave everything you are at the door. Before you walk in, you have to leave everything you are at the door. Um, and you have to show up to work to do the job, to to get it done, right? And, and I'll say, quote unquote, traditional workplaces, um, that may have been possible, particularly for white folks, white men in particular. But for black folks, that's never actually been possible. That one, a traditional business model, the ways that work has been structured, the business overall, right, um, in the U.S., actually did not start with Black people in mind. It started with Black folks as it being a slave, right? But so I say, so when somebody tells me, like, you need to be professional, you need, there's like a level of professionalism, there is like an error, there's something that they're trying to say to Black people, I would say to people in general, I would just, I, I say this to Black people, but I also say this to more openly to everybody, right? It's like when they tell you that, what are they actually communicating? Who is actually setting the standard of professionalism? And so when I talk to my clients, particularly black millennials who are in the workforce and they're like, yo, like I keep experiencing this, 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 this. And I'm like, who says that you have to be this way? Who says that you have to leave all that stuff out the door? Like, and they're like, I keep experiencing X, Y, and Z. Well, I'm like, you keep going into places that expect you to disassociate yourself? Do you want to live disassociated? Do you want to live inauthentically? Do you want to live separate from who you actually are? And obviously they're going to say no, more times than not, right? Um, some folks are completely okay with like, I don't care as long as they, they pay me a whole lot of money, right? But more times than not, I'll say nine times out of 10, folks are like, I want to live authentically and, and true to myself. Then that needs to, then we need to make some significant changes. Yeah, professionalism is not helpful for Black folks, any marginalized community, but it, I don't think professionalism, quote unquote, um, is really helpful for anyone because who sets the tone for what is professional? Professional is just like this esoteric thing that nobody specifically can name what it is. And it does more harm than good. And I think if organizations, companies, leaders don't understand that like employees are fully formed, complex human beings in particular, then they're going to have a difficult time um, navigating this next generation of, of employees because they will leave in a heartbeat. They, there's plenty of places to work. <laughs> there's so many places to work. Yeah. Okay. I'll I be more specific. Top talent will leave. Top talent will leave. Yeah. Not okay. everybody has the opportunity to leave. Yeah. 
Okay, Devon Nation, we are going to go ahead and take a small break right here, but we will be right back with the conclusion of this interview with Jonathan Dumas. Make sure you take this time to refresh our drink and take some super long deep breaths. You know that's right, Cluzo style. Out with the bad air, in with the good. Out with the bad air, in with the good. Pay attention to a few friends of my show and we will be right back. Hello, Duval Nation. Derek Duval here. Mental health is not only a top priority in my life, but it should be in yours too. As a combat military veteran, I have seen what untreated mental health looks like, which is why I've been using a therapist for well over a decade. Seeing a trusted therapist has helped me reconcile life events and other important things I've been witness to since returning home from the service and has changed my life for the better in many ways. Which is why going forward I am pleased to announce that BetterHelp will be sponsoring The Derek Duvall Show. BetterHelp is the world's first therapy service and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then, you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you can expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show. That's BetterHelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show. This is Country Boy for One My Black History. And if you listen to my podcast, this is some of the things that you will enjoy. The term Jim Crow derives from early 19th century minstrel shows. It was a popular form of entertainment, which is the predecessor to vaudeville. The shows consisted of a primarily white song and dance performer crudely mimicking African-Americans for the enjoyment of white audiences. One of the earliest and most famous was Thomas Daddy Rice, who devised a strutting, dancing character supposedly mimicking a prancing crow, and the character became known as Jim Crow. And if this is the type of content that you enjoy, you can find more content like this at OneMicHistory.com. Hey, this is Patrick Baker, and you are listening to The Derek Duvall Show. Check out my new single, available on all major streaming platforms, and visit my site at PatrickBakerMusic.com. Teachers, do you ever have these feelings or have been told these things? Do you want Kleenex for your classroom? Maybe you should think about buying your own with your own money. You get the summer off, you can have a second job. Do you really need a pay raise? Oh, do you need to use the restroom? Maybe you can do that in the three minutes while students are changing classes. Boy, sure hope your room doesn't descend into Lord of the Flies in that time. Oh, things are going pretty good for one. Surprise! 
budget cuts. Well, you're in luck because we've got a book just for you. Hi, everyone. It's Katie Kinder, educator, speaker, and author of Untold Teaching Truths. I invite you to purchase my book and join this journey as we talk about the wild world of public education. Part memoir, part strategy. It is available on BookBaby, Amazon, or wherever books are sold. Teach on Warriors. We've got this. This is Benjamin Sledge, author of Where Cowards Go to Die. In my award-winning memoir, you'll discover the raw humanity, intricate complexity, and brutal barbarity of those who served in the Iraq and Afghan wars, and the psychological toll it took on modern veterans. You can purchase Where Cowards Go to Die on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or anywhere major books are sold. Look for me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Benjamin C. Sledge. Hey, it's Michelle Fabre, and you're listening to The Derek Duval Show. You can hear my brand new single, I'm All That I Need, on all streaming platforms right now. Hello everyone, this is Janae Sergio, life coach, combat veteran, and best-selling author. I invite you to purchase my new book, Perfectly Flawed, a veteran's journey from homeless to hero. In these pages, you will learn about the lowest struggles of my life to the absolute triumphs that have made me the strong woman I am today. Follow along as I talk about homelessness, my naval role in Operation Enduring Freedom, navigating insurmountable odds, and how I dealt with and overcame them. You can find Perfectly Flawed on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. Welcome back to episode 220 of the Derek Duvall Show. Let's get right back to with the conclusion of our interview with career transition coach and public speaker, Jonathan Dumas. I noticed you're a member of the Black Speakers Collection, and coupled with your activism, perhaps you can answer this question better than some. In your opinion, how far has Black Lives Matter movement come? Hmm. I don't know if specifically I would be the right person to name this or to name this. So I'll, I'll say that right off the top, but I will say, I will say this as far as like black lives matter. Yeah. Let me say it this way. There's black lives matter. The organization there's black lives matter as far as the overall movement. And then there's black folks, right? I think even in the black community, there are conversations around what, that entails what that means, what what we're even moving towards. Um, but I would say, as far as like how far we've come, I would say we've come far, right? But I think we also have to look at it more specifically when we think about what is impacting Black folks in the U.S. And in particular, when we talk about even things like systemic racism, because that has become okay and sort of non-taboo, uh, non-taboo to say now, but folks don't know systemic what systemic racism is. And so when we think about it, we have to look at healthcare. We have to look at education. We look at access to buying homes, uh, loan approval rates, all these different things. When we think about do Black folks have an equitable opportunity to thrive and succeed here in the U.S., right? And when we look at every single metric, those things actually show that there is not equity that exists there. 
And so when we talk about that and where Black folks could be in terms of their lives truly mattering in the grander scheme of the U.S. context, we can say we have made strides, but we can't be satisfied with just like, you know, bread comes, right? We can't be satisfied with, with sort of kind of getting equitable treatment. I think, I think when I talk and when I communicate and uh, lead DEI consultations and all those things, I think it is incredibly important to put it into context. We can't, uh, we can't compare apples to oranges, right? I think that there's some very ignorant comparisons that I've heard um, when I've had conversations with folks. They're like, well, black folks aren't, you know, enslaved anymore. Well, I'm like, that's a pretty shitty comparison to like what we're examining now. Right. But we also have to look at, to be quite frank, the terrorism that was committed to black lives throughout the reconstruction era, so on and so forth. So Jim Crow, all kinds of things. Right. And these are things that were committed in part by communities, by white nationalism, um, all these different things. So I think black folks have come a long way, right? But we still have more to go. And I think as far as like my role, the things that I do, the things that I speak about, particularly with one individuals, but also when I consult with organizations, I think it's something that I try to bring attention to in a way that makes sense for them and the way, the way that makes sense for their context. But as far as like, yeah, I'm not like a uber, uber expert. Uh, when I'd say like even activism, I'm I'm not even... I'm not even somebody that would be like, oh yeah, I'm definitely an activist, right? I think I just try to do my part um, in raising awareness and making connections with with folks and and making sure that you know, ignorance is not the ignorance uh, is not something that is that is innate that like that cannot be changed. Like folks can grow, folks can change, and I try and do that um, with the conversations that I have with all kinds of folks. Hmm. Well, based on that answer, I feel like you are definitely highly educated enough to give a great answer to that question. So well, <laughs> well done. I appreciate that, Dan. <laughs> uh, I want to talk to you about your very entertaining and very educational podcast, Highly Visible, A Little Misunderstood. For my listeners who have not heard it, can you please tell them all about it? Absolutely. To, to break it down very, very simply, we have nuanced conversations about complex topics. So um, initially when I started it, it was a show that was like very, it was like an open diary. Like I had these questions that I, and thoughts that I would have about my friends, family, different things like that. And what I, what I decided to record it and start potting, it was so fun to talk to my mom, my brothers and like really hear them, listen to them. Right. And initially I wanted to try and have conversations that were like hard, but like to show that it's possible. And I think our show took a turning point when I had a conversation. So I'm in an interracial marriage. My wife is from just outside of the Twin Cities in Minnesota. And we know that George Floyd was killed there. And so what we, we talked about pretty candidly after a protest we went to was what does it look like for us to be in an interracial marriage together? Like, what, is, what does that look like? What, is, what does it look like for her to be an ally, not just to me, not just to potentially our future children or my family, but what does it look like for you to unlearn even the racist tendencies that she like grew up with knowing, right? She's a blonde haired, blue eyed woman, like grew up in the suburbs. Like what do you, what do you, how are you, what are you doing to unlearn all that stuff? Right. And it was a very candid conversation and that blew up and completely changed how I had conversations, who I talked to um, and all that stuff. And now it's, you know, what I said before, it's like, we talk about complex things and nuanced ways and provide space to navigate those, those well. Hmm. 
I ask all my podcasting guests these next few questions. What do you enjoy about podcasting? Oh my gosh, the conversations. I feel like I learn something new every single time I have a conversation with somebody. I mean, I've laughed on there. I've laughed a lot, actually. I've cried on there. I have been like left speechless. Um, and what's so interesting is that I've heard this so many times. Folks will come on there and they're like, I did not think I was going to share this on a podcast, but here we go. Um, and I love hearing that is because one, it goes back to those things I was saying about even the career joy and, and those questions to ask. It's like, do you feel safe? And that is one of my biggest things. I want folks to feel safe. I let folks know that I honor their story. I honor what they're sharing. Um, and it's always a complete joy to, to learn something new um, anytime I have a conversation with somebody. And the flip side of that coin is, you know, what sort of challenges have you had to overcome as a podcaster? Being a one-person show, I think there's all kinds of ideas that I have and I want to do and succeed at. And I want a lot of people to listen to my show and all this stuff. But I think you get, sometimes I get caught up in the numbers. I get caught up in, um, you know, an episode that I thought was going to be fantastic and, didn't get nearly as many downloads as an episode I thought was not that good. Um, and it's just like, so it's so frustrating one being a podcaster, but two being somebody who's like a creator and you put this thing out and you just got to wait. Um, and I just, I'm uh, just the researcher in me um, wants to see like the data wants to analyze it and look at it. But sometimes, well, all the time, you just gotta, <laughs> you just gotta sit back and just let it, let it ride. Um, and that's so hard for me. It's so hard. Right. Yeah. Pierre de, Pierre de Coubertin said the most important thing in life, it's not the triumph, but the struggle. You get a chance to talk to your younger self. What would you say to him? I would tell him that you will find your people someday. Um, I think growing up, I was always in predominantly white spaces um, and always the only, I was always a token black kid. And it wasn't until honestly my late twenties and thirties that I found the people that I like connected with that got me. Um, but those experiences growing up, I didn't feel like I could, I didn't know how to like be a black kid. I didn't know how to be a black dude. I didn't know how to be accepted. I felt so anxious, so insecure. And uh, it wasn't until I like looked in the mirror and said, I love myself. I love everything about Jonathan that like I started putting myself out there and finding my people and making the connections that life-changing connections that I have in the last, I would say five years. And so I would say you would, you'll find your people just be yourself. All right. Uh, what's yeah. next for Jonathan? Yeah, I am really honing in on this career joy thing. I like got a definition. I got the roadmap. I just led a beta um, workshop and we'll be launching another workshop again soon, just re revising it and having it open for folks to come in and check it out again. But yeah, I'm just going to be co continue to develop a career joy workshop. My work I do as a consultant for a company that I co-founded called Common Culture. We're going to be doing some trainings and are getting booked now. So if anybody's interested in leadership development trainings, any of the connective tissue that if there's any connective tissue between where you work and uh, the things that I shared today, um, I do have a company that we do some trainings as well. And then other than that, I'm just going to be enjoying the holidays with my well, my family coming up soon, my mom's getting married in a, a, a couple of weeks and I'm officiating that. So I'm really excited. So I'm probably going to be unplugging in the next couple of weeks to, to celebrate her, her wedding and get ready to uh, officiate that thing. I've never done it before. So it should be, should be fun. <laughs> nice. As yeah. we enter the final phase of the interview, I always like to ask one fun question, Jonathan, what do you like to do for fun? How do you like to relax? 
Oh my gosh. All right. So it's either between hooping. So I love to play basketball and, uh, people get it's so funny when i talk to people because they're like you're so smiley all that stuff but when you get on a basketball you're like a completely different person it's because i don't give a fuck so <laughs> on the basketball court, i could be like i could be mean i could be all that because it's like you know i want to win i'm i'm incredibly competitive i've been an athlete since i was eight and so i i, I fucking love to win and and play hard and all that stuff and that, that's where all that like decompression happens anyways for me just like moving my body so when i'm like trying to relax and i'm trying to you know get my mind right i'm i'm gonna be in the gym or I'm a closet nerd, not so closet nerd. Um, so I love watching, you know, anything Star Wars, Star Trek. LeVar Burton is like my hero. Jordy LaForge, shout out. Um, and then uh, I love to um, read. I, so I read like sci-fi novels, dystopian novels, anything that can like take me and escape me from the world. I love, love reading, re love reading books. So I'll probably hoop at night, come back, take a shower and in my day reading a, reading a nice long, hella long um, sci-fi novel or mythology or something like that. You know, it's funny you say that about basketball. I had on the show about a month ago, uh, Andrew D. Bernstein. He's the world famous NBA photographer. He took he took every famous NBA photograph you've ever seen. Anything you Kobe, wow. Michael Jordan, any photograph you've ever seen published, he took it. Okay, wow. There's, there's a very famous photograph of Michael Jordan. It's my favorite favorite photograph of Michael ever, and it's a photograph mm. of him staring down Magic Johnson. And he's, I mean, he's got his hands on his shorts and he's, he's getting ready to guard him. And, yep. I, to and I told Andrew this, this, that this is my favorite photograph and it's on his Instagram page. He has all his photographs mm -hmm. on his Instagram page. And he's like, that's your favorite photograph of Michael. I'm like, yes, that is my, and he goes, you know what I call that photograph? I'm like, what? He goes, death stare. <laughs> oh yeah. And it's yeah. like, I, cause it shows you just how intense Michael Jordan was. So in one, intense in that one photograph. It's, yeah. it's so, it's that one photo. He's so intense in that one photograph. And it's my yeah. favorite photograph of Michael Jordan. And, and people are like, you know, like the, you know, the scoring through the air, what have you? No, no bullshit. It's that yeah. one photograph is, is just shows you how intense everything is in that one photograph. And uh, I, anyway, I, I told him that and what have you. And, and he was so flattered that that was his, but he took that one, that he took that photograph and two, that it was wow. his, that was my favorite photograph of his was that photograph. Oh, that's incredible. That's incredible. I'm actually going to check that out uh, after. Cause it, it it's, I think I've seen it where he's just like leaning down that's and looking the one. up at him. It's just yeah, so good. Yeah. 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 You gotta be like Kobe, like the greats, just there's something wrong with him in the head, like something wrong with him. Cause like, they don't care. They treat it literally like war, like the yeah. way that they talk about it, the way that they go at it. It's, yeah. it's, it's wild. I, I love the sport. I, it really is like one of my favorite things to do. He wrote, uh, the, he co uh, collaborated that book Mamba rules. Uh, he oh, did, wow. he okay. did the book with him. Uh, Andrew Dubu mm. Bernstein. That's, that was the reason one of the reasons he came on the show was to talk about that book that he collaborated with Kobe on. <sighs> So that's so cool. Recipes, yeah. Kobe. That's, that's wild. That's really, really, yeah. I'm a Boston Celtics fan personally, but you know, you gotta respect <laughs> the game. It's all right. <laughs> you gotta respect the game. You gotta yeah. respect the game. It's all good. All right. Um, what would be the best way for my listeners to follow your adventures online? Absolutely. So they can find me on LinkedIn, Jonathan L. Dumas. Um, that's where I'm at. You'll see a, you know, big smile and face. That's, that's the big, big black guy smile and face. That's me. And then, uh, you can follow me on, um, you can connect with me through my website, sign up for my email uh, list. It is Hey Jonathan Dumas. That is Hey, H E Y J O N A T H A N D as in dog, U M as in Matthew, 
A is in Apple, S is in Sam.com. And you can just follow my email list there or schedule a vibe, uh, vibe call if you're interested in some coaching stuff. Um, would love to connect with you. Okay. Jonathan, I am my interviews with my favorite question. And the question is this. If the entire planet was listening to this broadcast, what would be the one thing you would like to say to the people of Earth? As corny as it sounds, oh, what is the thing that my wife said? just said? She just said something so... She said, um, life is hard. You might as well eat. You might as well eat well. So like, let's all just like have some good food, fam. Like we don't need to, life is already hard enough. Let's just like eat good. <laughs> so that's what I would say. <laughs> all right. Jonathan, congratulations on all your success. Thanks for taking the time to come on the show today. Keep up the good work on the show. All my best to you. Okay. I appreciate it, Derek. Thank you so much. You have a wonderful rest of your day. And just like that, Deval Nation, we come to the end of episode 220. I want to thank Jonathan for taking the time to come on the show and giving such a great and insightful interview. What a great young man, and I do hope our past cross again down the road. Okay, tune again next time as we showcase another extraordinary person. We drop our episodes on Mondays and Thursdays, so be sure to keep checking your favorite podcast streaming channel for this episode to drop. Also, I think it's fair to ask you, the listener, have you enjoyed this episode? I truly hope you have, so please go and hit that subscribe button to keep up to date for when new episodes drop. Also, if you're feeling generous, please drop us a review. We love reading what our listeners have to say about us, good or bad. We are still enjoying our partnership with the Amazing Tea Public. The Derek Duvall Show has a great little store on there, and if you, we have everything with our logo on it, including magnet stickers and mugs. Plus, we have some really fun t-shirts on there that Mrs. Duvall and I added ourselves. So please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com, go to the banner for the left of merch, click that, and so you'll be taken to our store on Tea Public. And once again, I want to thank them for being such great partners with the show. On behalf of myself and the entire team here at the Derek Duvall Show, I want to say to each and every one of you listening, today is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Let's all take a moment to remember this great civil rights leader and all he fought for. What a truly inspiring man. Nostra, God bless, and see you next time, Planet Earth. This has been a recording of the Derek Duvall Show, and we thank you for listening. Please go to our website. DerekDuvallShow.com for links to merchandise and to explore past episodes. Please find us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Derek Duvall Show.